0: Brr, it's getting cold out there am i right you are right yeah it's, it's true. a you have to put on an extra jacket well i know that uh loyal listeners have been um hearing us talk about grady's cold brew um for months and welcome to chicago listeners have been hearing about it for years uh and you may think, well, that's a seasonal thing. It's crazy that those guys are talking about that even you know, around Christmas time or whatever, which I do drink it cold year-round, don't get me wrong, and I don't think there's any shame in doing so, and I, in fact, wish more people would not submit <coughs> to the tyranny of hot coffee in the cold months. But Grady would like us to let you know that there is another option for you. Um, uh, as he says, some like it hot, and... You know, we want to fulfill your needs year round as part of the extended Grady's team, which I, I would consider as part of the extended Grady's team.
1: I, I hope I hope we are. I okay. hope Grady's think Grady thinks of us that way. Yes. So um just so you know, you can
0: brew Grady's hot um in a uh if you put an equal amount of milk or water in a heat-resistant container and microwave or heat on the stovetop, there are various ways you can do it, but you can still get that blend of Arabica coffee and that nice French chicory sweetness that we love so much. So don't worry don't worry about it. You can get that hot Grady's if you want. Um, and, yeah, again, we c- you can get 20% off your first order as a late-era listener at Grady'sColdBrew.com. The code is late era 20, so you can get um, a kit to brew yourself up some cold or hot Grady's. Um, we love you, Grady. We love you, Grady. And we love you, our listeners. We got a very special episode, so let's uh, get into it.
1: Yeah, so if you don't know by now, you are listening to Late Era. This is the podcast where we dig into the strange left turns that tend to happen uh, late in the careers of uh, artists of all kinds. We're focusing on, you know, classic artists and the the weirdness of their late eras. And uh, today we are talking about a massive album containing one of the biggest, most iconic songs of uh, my childhood and I guess all of our childhoods. Uh, that is Shares Believe. And uh, before we dig too far into it, we'll introduce ourselves. My name is Andy Cush. Uh, I play bass in the band Garcia Peoples and I'm also a contributing editor at Pitchfork.
0: My name is Winston Cook-Wilson. I make music uh, as Office Culture and as Winston C.W., and I co-host this podcast and the podcast Welcome to Chicago. I'm Sam Sadomsky. I'm a staff writer at
2: Pitchfork. Welcome to Chicago, co-host, a musician under various monikers. And I'm so pleased to introduce our very special guest for this episode, one of my favorite music writers. She is a staff writer at Rolling Stone. She has written... Uh, definitive cover stories on Cardi B, Janelle Monae, recently The Weeknd. Uh, You might know her writing from Rookie or Vulture. Um, She's a boy band enthusiast. Uh, One of the last things I did before lockdown was speak on a panel uh, with her and some other people at her alma mater, NYU. She has been known as the Cher of Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Bitney
3: Spanos. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for that very nice introduction.
1: <laughs> Thanks for being with us today, Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> so for our listeners, you know, so far we have uh we've tackled sort of a lot of artists that might be termed classic rock. Uh you might think if you are sort of a rockist type listener, you might be inclined to dismiss the work of Cher. Uh, So right up front, (laughs) I'm going to just give a little uh, argument for why this album is uh, worth your attention, even if you're not a Cher fan. Uh, One thing is that the title track, uh, Believe itself, uh, is widely recognized as the first song to ever use autotune as a deliberate, um, effect to sort of heighten the artificial qualities of the software and give the voice this kind of alien robotic sense, which of course in the landscape of pop music today is it's impossible to overstate how influential that is artists from T-Pain to Kanye West to basically, you know, half the songs you hear on the radio now, uh, kind of take their cues in some way from Cher's Believe. Um, aside from that, uh, it's as this sort of massively popular iconic album from an artist who is at this point, I guess like three and a half decades into her career, uh, it's sort of just a wonderful turn for, for Cher's arc to take. And uh, aside from that has some pretty uh, slamming songs on it. <laughs> got some Simon songs it's like her th- like third musical comeback of her career or so- like
3: yeah something. she had
1: she's like it's a career full of comebacks but this was her biggest right yes. like Biggest yeah. even at ever. the time there was a New York Times article about it headlined like "Share resurrected yet again or something like that <laughs> about this uh song and record
0: yeah how's everyone doing before we get into it how's yeah. everybody doing <laughs> how are you doing Brittany
3: I'm good, yeah. I'm I'm chilling. You know, it's I like I like the fall, so I'm, I'm hanging out, riding riding the pandemic out, listening to a lot of share this weekend. So that was great.
0: Are you are what you it? like a share super fan?
3: Yeah, I love share. Um, I've seen her live twice. Hell yeah! Saw burlesque in theaters more times than I'm gonna admit <laughs> on this podcast, um, <laughs> and saw Mama Mia here we go again in theaters more times than. I'm also going to publicly admit, but yeah, this album's great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great. Well, you can help as we like try to break down yeah. the insane history, try to do like a crash course in the history of Cher. Yeah, for sure. Is there uh, anything you want to plug? Anything coming up for you that you're working on that you're excited about?
3: Um, we're actually going to be launching very soon the 500 Greatest Albums of uh, of All Time podcast. Oh, wow. Um, it's... We, have softly announced it already, but there will be more information on it at the end of the month. Um, but yeah, so I will, I will be hosting that. We have some really cool guests and it'll be breaking down some of the albums that are, are newer on the list or jumped up a lot on, on the new list.
0: Hell yeah. Where was this on the list? I yeah. forget. This was like 10, It right? was
3: not on there <laughs> and it's honestly very, <laughs> I'm very angry that there's no share on the final list, but yeah. the voters spoke and... I don't agree with them. Yeah, <laughs> fair, fair
0: enough.
1: Andy's had a big, big drop. Yeah, on Friday. Uh, on Friday, my band, or the band that I play in, Garcia Peoples, we just released our fourth album called Nightcap at Wits End, uh, uh, yeah. which really excited about finally having that out in the world. Uh, we recorded it such a long time ago. It's probably like. It was around this time last year that we were kind of going down to the studio to work it out. Um, it, it's been a long road toward getting it out there, but uh, I think it's great. It's the first record um, we have ever done that has all six of the band members playing on the whole thing, and it was just a lovely experience to make, and um, I hope people enjoy it. It's great. Fantastic. Yeah your best Killer album yes
2: when I first heard it I thought it sounded like the Garcia people's Prague album that I've always wanted and it's been rewarding seeing uh, now that it's out other people make that connection and uh, affirm my feelings toward it yeah we were definitely in the Prague zone when we were making it sick
0: Sam what's up with you
2: oh you know maintaining just trying to get through every day it's like a day by day kind of thing for me that's mm-hmm. all I gotta say that's it <laughs> 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 Trying my best
0: Yeah Pre- How about you Winston? Preach Oh I am good uh, I announced um, a new record this week Put out the first single from it Solar record uh, Under the name Winston CW called Good Guess It's coming out on December 4th I'm excited about it uh, December 4th is like the end of when you can kind of release an album in a year and it's about as far as uh, away from election day you know as you can go like so you know it was the
1: only date for me hopefully it's a it's a winter album so i think it's solid having had an advance of the album for a little while i can tell listeners that it's incredible up there with the best stuff winston has done so far if you're a fan of the last office culture album, it uh, kind of takes his songwriting in a different direction, but uh, still very much recognizable as the work of uh, the same guy, and I think you will be pretty blown away by it.
0: You're just trying second to second all
1: that. Just yeah. trying to butter me up, boys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate it. <sighs> all right, Giddy up. Um, Brittany, one thing that we do, unfortunately, yeah. at the beginning of these episodes is, um, it's, you know, I, I didn't want to do it, but the listeners were so passionate about this part of the program that um, I agreed <laughs> to be to do one of my famous impressions at the beginning of every episode. So this is a impression that um, deals with uh, the topics that we're going to be talking about. So uh, let's go see if you can. See if you can uh, guess who this is. I'm getting ready. I didn't <laughs> practice this one very much, so. <clears throat> hey, babe. I'm, uh, I, I love to sing with you in a duo. Um, and I also love uh, politics. Um, um, I'm, a may- I, uh, I'm a mayor. I was a mayor um and uh where were you the mayor a, 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 congr- a congressman of uh palm springs california baby <laughs> and uh gee i just love singing with you my uh wife that i had a complicated and uh problematic <laughs> relationship with and I got uh, call. <laughs> uh no sounds Come like close. art um and uh i uh I died and I'm speaking to you uh, from beyond the grave. I got you, babe. Uh, I, uh, my buddy's Phil Spector. He's a murderer. And uh, I gotta say, this is your most cryptic one yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to move. I was things thinking Daryl Hall, but yeah. Daryl Hall's still kicking. <laughs> and, yeah, one's the uh, yeah, both Hall and Oates are still kicking. <laughs> Think of some other famous duos that might relate to share. <laughs> and you'll and you'll probably get it. Um,
2: Casey uh, and Joey definitely a
3: member mm-hmm. of Millie Vanilli, right?
0: Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
1: close. Okay.
3: Okay. Um,
1: uh, what do you think, Andy? <laughs> Hi there, Andy. <laughs> I'm just gonna take a wild guess. Is it Sunny Bono? It's uh, <laughs> Sonny Bono. That's by far my uh, worst. <laughs> I, I I'm uh.
0: <laughs> yeah that's my wor- that's my worst ever i might, uh, I might definitely be- not great my other one was gonna be uh nick cage and moonstruck Br- bring me the big knife oh well that i would have gotten immediately bring me the big knife uh uchi forget about it something like that but
3: well, well, little, little De Niro i thought it was wonderful
0: <laughs> switched i haven't had enough grady's today guys <laughs> Maybe I'll light light myself up another glass as I say, <laughs> as I like to say when I start uh, I started off. Okay, God damn it, let's get into it now. This is yes. the important part. This is where yes. we. Um, you might think, listeners, that you know about Cher, um, but you don't. Because I realized when I was th- thinking, yeah, I know about Cher. I know about Cher's career. Uh, and then I kind of look back at it it is insane it is, there's so much mm-hmm. to know and I feel like her legacy it's like so hard to distill such a I, I feel like just like people associate her with one or two th- things Believe or like the movie they like with her or I Got You Babe but like she had hits in like number one hits in six different decades you know mm-hmm. she's like one of the best selling artists of all time and TV and movie star. So this is the Who is Share segment, and I am going to kind of guide us through it. But I would appreciate Brittany or anyone else um, interjections here about about this, you know, kind of crash course, interesting yeah. facts. Okay, so. Um, she came on the scene in the 60s, um, and she was met Sonny Bona pretty early. She was working as a backing singer for Phil Spector for a while, and then she started a singing group. They had a singing duo as Caesar and Cleo before they became Sonny and Cher. Um, and I guess her first big hit was All I Really Want to Do by Dylan, her version of that. Um, and then in the mid '60s, I got "You Babe" became like a top ten hit, and then they charted like a bunch. Sunny and Cher charted a bunch of uh, top forty singles at the, in the second half of the '60s, up and through up through like 1972. But they they were pretty uncool. <laughs> they went like when they they started, they had a a lot of kind of adversity to you know hippies and uh counter like rock music yeah. of the time was very like opposed to them and i think sunny hated it and Cher kind of one was sympathetic to it and started trying to kind of court it a little bit on her
1: records um also uh one thing i'll jump in and say is like the the one Sonny bono solo album uh called interviews is like a great. It's sort of like a late era album that's not actually late era. It's from mm-hmm. 1967, but it's like a pretty amazing sort of like fake psychedelic album that that Sunny Bono made that has still has some like genuinely cool uh, moments on it. That's that fascinating. Definitely worth a listen. Yeah, because
0: he was. I think he was pretty outspoken about at least behind closed doors to not liking this stuff. But I feel like they mm-hmm. were so. I mean, the story of of her career is kind of, like, constantly adapting subtly to, like, stuff that's going on in music and culture, um, mm-hmm. which is probably... You know, there are a lot of figures like that, and that's, like, maybe why it's it's kind of hard to, hard to distill what she did. Um, but I feel like Sonny and Cher were constantly kind of repositioning themselves, which is how they had so much longevity. I don't know. Um, yeah,
3: I always forget, like, how much of Cher's career has been marked by her wanting to be a rock singer too. Like, especially, I mean, as soon as the counterculture became the popular music that they were competing against, like she released a, a rock album. Like she was like ready, like she was ready to go. And she did it for so long where she was really trying to cut it as a rock singer. Right. And it took a while, like, you know, she did finally have a rock era later, but like, you know, after like a couple of comebacks, but, um, that was very successful, but that was definitely like her, her goal for a while was to become a popular rock singer.
1: Yeah. Even, uh, not to fast forward too much, but after Believe, maybe we'll talk about this more later, but her next album was this sort of brooding, like dark singer-songwriter sort of yeah. album. Yeah, not yeah, commercial. It <laughs> was called yeah. that because that's what her label told her it was when she tried to submit it, and then yeah. she ended up...
3: And was written before Believe. We'll get into it later, but yeah. I love that
1: (laughs) album. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Wow, sick. Yeah,
3: yeah. I love the entire story behind that album. (laughs) We should
0: spend some time with that, yeah. Yeah. Well, the the 70s, she seems to have been grappling with rock. I mean, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves was her first number one hit, and that -hmm. was sort of uh, early 70s, um, and she got married to... She divorced Sonny, got married to Greg Allman, I think that... And she did, like, an around that time, she did an album produced by Jimmy Webb. So it was kind of this more, like, country rock pop type of thing um, yeah. going on. Uh, I should say that, like, earlier in the decade, they became even bigger stars, kind of, in, culturally, by having the Sonny and Cher comedy hour, which was really popular. Like Her TV career kind of launched. But then... At the end of the decade, it's disco time, and she had pretty big success with that. Right? Yeah,
3: yeah, disco was her first big solo comeback. Like that was kind of the the real launch of of her as a, a pop star on her own and kind of standing on her own without Sunny. Yeah, producing the music or working with her, um, she's like such like a, a Studio Fifty Four regular too. Like that was kind of a, a new beginning of her kind of stepping out and and being like a, a minor celebrity of her own right um and also kind of figured into her own solo variety show as well and kind of that that success so separate from from sunny and and also a big financial comeback as well because the early 70s she became really really broke because of the divorce and and every like sunny just being a terrible businessman (laughs) and
0: like
3: really fucking her over yeah and that was also the beginning of Vegas, I think. Right, it was around the disco era. Like, mm-hmm. went before Ve- when Vegas was kind of like Reno now. Like, you know, like just like not really. People weren't really going. It was like a lot of like older people, and like there wasn't a lot of really cool residencies. And she was doing that just to like pay the bills. Like her and, her and Tina Turner kind of both turned to to Vegas briefly post divorces.
0: Wow. Yeah. So the eighties. 80s... Early '80s, right? That was sort of like movie career time. Yeah, I don't know that much of Cher's filmography other than like Moonstruck and Witches of Eastwick, yeah. which came out the same year, and mm-hmm. she was in another movie called Suspect. So that was like a huge, huge movie year for her. Yeah, uh, but um, but also that was like she was coming up towards another music comeback at that point, mm-hmm. right?
3: Her her finally getting to be a, a rock singer, rock singer. Yeah, if she I like could turn in. back time. Yeah, I think it was like too, um, the the duet with Meatloaf was kind of that launch for her too. She did Dead Ringer for Love with Meatloaf, and that was like kind of the first moment where she finally had like a rock hit. Yeah, and obviously it was, um, you know, not like her own solo thing, but the duet with Meatloaf. But if I could turn back time and. And that era of share kind of helped make her become the rock singer that she had been wanting to be for over a decade at that
2: point. I was gonna say I feel like she find, like the timing was finally right, like rock music was finally like dramatic and like glamorous enough for her to be like at the forefront of it, you know, as opposed to like in the sixties when like her thing was kind of like diametrically opposed to what was becoming cool in rock music and then the seventies when she was in Vegas and stuff
3: yeah rock music finally caught up to share
0: totally. exactly
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um all right, nineties not a lot of music at the beginning she she yeah. had this chronic fatigue that started and sort mm-hmm. of uh I don't know the nineties the nineties leading up to believe are kind of an interesting slight dead zone yeah. in her career.
3: She started doing infomercials, and so she got made fun of a lot. And her movies, like she wasn't doing as many movies. Like *Mermaids* was like, not. It's obviously become like such a, a popular movie in the years since, but like you know, did fine when it came out. Um, and then like she did a bunch of infomercials, and like people weren't really, what like what what
1: sorts of infomercials was she doing? She
3: did a lot of stuff. Like she it was like a lot of beauty and like Mm -hmm. um, fitness. Yeah, she did a lot. Yeah, I think she did, like, some, like, workout DVD. You know, she did a lot of kind of, like, QVC core gotcha. type of stuff. But she actually, this was when she wrote Not Commercial because she was um, not doing as, she, like, wanted to make real music. Mm-hmm. So she didn't even want to, like, even, even when she got to Believe, like, she didn't want to make Believe because she, like, wanted to make real music. Like, right. heavy heavy quotations around that. Yeah. But, like, she wanted to write her own songs. And so she, like wrote not commercial in 1994 with like this big idea that she was going to pivot to being a songwriter and that album she like wrote like a, a response to like Kurt Cobain dying for that and so which is one of my favorite things <laughs> about that yeah. entire era was that she was like responding to like grunge and you know early 90s rock music and yet again was like i she was like, "I'm gonna become a, a singer songwriter now," and that obviously got detoured. Um, I love how cool.
2: I love how literal the title is in that context. <laughs> like, it's literally not a commercial. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: a, it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I also
0: like the tie into J JTool which is our last album because it's like not dot com dot yeah. commercial. So, and it came out in the w- less than a year after that. So. Um, mm. Very interesting stuff. Uh, <laughs> anyway, well, I mean, in, in a way, you know, it's like we should have done non commercial in some sense. There's too many, there, there seems to be a lot of choices with her, but we should talk about that a bit after the album. I know that then she put out this album, It's a Man's World, which is her mm-hmm. covering men's songs from a women's perspective. That was in 95, right?
3: And finally got her, like, good reviews. <laughs> yeah. People, like, really liked that album, but it didn't do very well. Um, but people just, like, you know, like, hearing her sing those songs. I mean, that does have Walking in Memphis on there, which is one of her best covers.
2: Speaking of reviews, it's, like, it's kind of crazy going back and reading reviews for her albums. There was a really yeah. great quote from her where she was, like, when she put out that rock album with her band,
3: mm-hmm. she had a
2: quote that was, like, critics didn't like it, but they weren't talking about the music, they were talking about me. She yeah. was, like, they didn't like me singing rock music. It's not that they didn't like the songs. And I feel like that's pretty much like all through her career. Like even the reviews for Believe are like pretty middling for an yeah. album that was like enormous and like kind of unprecedented.
3: Yeah, it's so wild how completely uncool Cher was until like deep, deep, like decades into her career. Like literally it took thirty years for people to like kind of be like, Oh yeah, she's kind of cool as a person, <laughs> but she's Literally fighting against how uncool every single person thought that she was in every era that she existed. And this is like the longest stretch of time. She's like in her 70s, and like this is like the coolest people have thought she is unanimously ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is so wild. And those albums are good. I, I love, you know, I love all of her, her rock albums. It's, you know, she, it just, she's ahead of her time.
0: People weren't ready. <laughs> uh, I, I, like your your super fandom is very infectious. I love it. <laughs> All right, well we're there. This this yeah. is the, the lead up. We're there. We're at Believe, and uh, yeah. Andy's Andy's been going deep on the on the uh, the production stuff behind the song, etc.
1: So after it's a man's world, as acclaimed as it was, it was sort of a commercial failure. And that album, at least comparatively to Believe, has this almost rootsy live band, classic R&B kind of sound to it. This guy, Rob Dickens, who was the uh, head of Warner Music at the time, basically said to her, like, in order to make an album that sells, you should make... an album that's like super upbeat dance music. And I guess specifically he wanted her to focus on the, the large uh, gay audience that she had. And he thought that like having this kind of like club record would do that. Um, As Brittany alluded to earlier, Cher was initially like really against the idea. She felt like dance music didn't have like quote unquote real songs and, Uh, real songwriting, and uh, basically uh, told this guy, Dickens, like, I don't want to do that. Um, And he was kind of, like, realizing at the time that he was at the end of his rope working at Warner and that Believe was going to be, like, his sort of last big thing that he's able to pull off before he gets forced out and, like, takes it upon himself to convince Cher that um, making a dance album would be a good idea and at one point um he runs into this guy uh higgins uh i need to pull up his first name uh old higgins who is the original uh brian higgins uh who's the original songwriter of believe and he's this kind of like Aspiring songwriter. He hasn't done a ton of work for huge artists, but he had just worked for Kylie Minogue, and that was sort of like why he was even at Warner in the first place. Um, and he just asks this guy, uh, Brian Higgins, if he would send him some songs they thought might work well for Cher. And uh, Brian Higgins sends him a, a tape of 16 songs, none of which uh, he thought were very good, except for Believe, which he said he's laying in his bed. He heard it, thought the chorus um, was incredible, uh, but that everything else about the song um, was really bad. Uh, and uh, Brian Higgins had already sort of had believe as this baby of his for like years before this. He really believed in the song, uh, no pun intended, uh, and had already tried like for such a long time to make it to make it a thing. And at this point. Um, Rob Dickens kind of takes over and is like, "You uh have not done justice to your own song. You have this like genius chorus, and you can't figure out what to do with it and he starts shopping it around to all these other songwriters in the orbit of of Warner music, and even then, like there are so many attempts at it uh that don't work that Cher doesn't like uh that Rob Dickens doesn't like um and then eventually uh they've reached the version uh." That works. And Cher loves it. Um, Rob Dickens thinks the bridge, that which is like really one of the greatest bridges of all time, the uh, I don't need you anymore part of the song is like such a fist pumping. Like anytime that song comes on, if you're not singing along to that bridge, like <laughs> you've got ice in your veins or something. Is that true? <laughs> is every time it comes on you sing along? I feel like I do, yeah.
3: Yeah. I've never I've never not been able to, to sing along to believe.
0: Sam and uh
1: Yeah, same here. I always (laughs) fist (laughs) pump. And Rob Dickens wants to get rid of that bridge and shares the one who's like, no, this is the perfect bridge for this song. And then that's how they uh, arrive at uh, the final version of Believe, which is sort of, in my understanding, like the whole album in some sense. I mean, it is an album, but it's also like, a delivery system for this one kind of perfect song, believe it's the first Mm -hmm. song on the album, it's the title track, it's kind of the one that was the most labored over uh, that they knew like if they had a hit on their hands, um, this was gonna be it.
2: In some ways the album is almost like a song cycle that begins with that. It's like
1: Mm -hmm.
2: almost like elements of that song are like isolated and kind of spread throughout the rest of the record. Like there's strong enough, which is another huge single from the album, but that almost feels like it's built from one part of believe, and then all or nothing has like a similar guitar part through it. I don't know. It's like structured in a way that almost feels like, minus some outliers, it feels like very much like let's just live in this moment as long as we
0: can. Yeah, just like trying to make a super focused album with this one set. I mean. There was a lot of stuff going on at this time, like this, right? Like K- Kylie Minogue and uh, Ray, Ray of Light. Light, Ray of Light. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, there was like such a big sort of Euro pop, Euro dance movement happening in the late '90s that was crossing over into the U.S. I mean, obviously, it existed in Europe for for years prior, but um, I mean, that was. Re- I mean, the late '90s were really like a big comeback time for kind of dance pop music generally kind of the beginning of like Max Martin um, you know like a lot of those kind of just like pop acts were finally breaking on the US charts again um, after kind of the 90s were super dominated by rock and R&B and rap like the kind of like dance pop movement was was coming through sort of like pre-Y2K um, so Cher kind of not only fit into it but was doing like the most distilled kind of euphoric version of that along with you know kylie and madonna at that time but this was such a a big a big coup for kind of really dance club oriented pop music at the time
0: there is something very different about this song though the effect
3: yeah the effect the the autotune the share effect the um sure effect yeah i mean it's funny even like i listened to like an isolated version of it of, like, believe without the auto tune, and it's just like something that's like so particularly built for Cher's voice as well because her voice kind of already does so much of that warbling and so much of that stuff, so it's just kind of like amping up all of the warbling that Cher does but gives it this kind of like, like, like weird kind of like I don't want to call it like robotic, but just like and just like sounds like the future and sounds you know, like so so incredibly weird and new um and obviously has has brought us so much of what pop has been since you know like she real like no one else was using it before and then like we have like you know obviously t-pain and kanye and kesha and everyone sort of utilizing it and kind of taking it to new extremes but um yeah just kind of the, the way that she used autotune fits so much so well with her voice which is already like you know doesn't need autotune but amped it up completely
1: right totally so, AutoTune had been released only like a year before um, Believe got recorded. So, it was still like super, super new technology. And obviously, at the time, like people, the inventor of AutoTune did not intend for it to be like an effect so much as just something that was like used in the background of a recording to like subtly clean up a bad vocal take mm-hmm. and has even said, like, he almost released it without it even having the capability to to work in such a like audible, effective way, and just kind of decided like, "What the hell? Why not? I'll like, yeah. I'll let, I'll let the people turn it up to eleven if they want." Um, but didn't really expect anyone to do with that. And an interesting thing about him is like his background for decades uh, was working in the oil industry. Uh, and was using sort of like similar digital signal processing as a way to locate uh, oil deposits <laughs> underground, uh, but wow. was always interested in music, started applying some of these ideas to music, and according to him, came out without a tune when he was having a conversation with a colleague and his wife, and the wife joked, oh, I thought it, I, th- I think it'd be great if you could come up with a device that would help me sing in tune. And he was like, oh, uh, Ha ha ha! And then, like six months later, he's like, "Actually, maybe I'll try to do
3: that." It's funny to like think about dance music pre auto tune, which was like obviously, you know, think of like "Show Me Love" by Robin S, which like are all kind of like, don't, you know, this idea of having like the big sort of vocals over, which obviously Cher is doing. But then, like how dance music since then has literally only utilized auto tune. Like everyone is kind of trying to have like the believe effect of their voice on, like, every EDM song from, like, totally. five years ago. <laughs> like, every single song. Like, I think of, like, you know, Every Time by Cascada and things like that. Like, it's it's so funny how the entire landscape of how dance music and how vocalists on dance music songs, on any sort of, like, EDM song, has been unable to, like, go forward go forward without tune on it.
1: Yeah. For sure. <laughs> it, it feels like if, like, yeah, like, listening to old, early, like, vocal house tracks, it's kind mm-hmm. of, like... If you wanted to have vocals on against this music, it necessarily had to sort of exist as like as a contrast to everything else that was happening, like putting the very human element of a voice against, you know, this regimented world of sequence synthesizers, drum machines, samplers and stuff. And it feels like, okay, here, finally, I guess there was vocoders before, but. Maybe a vocoder distorts the voice so much it doesn't feel enough like a voice anymore. But here with Autotune and with the way that Cher used it, it's finally like you can sing against this landscape of like alien technological music, and like finally sort of be a part of that landscape yourself rather than um, this el- this human this very human element that stands in contrast to it and.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listening to this song now, well, listening to the whole album straight through, it feels so heavy to me. It feels like it just because of of auto-tune now and how and and like how dance music and R&B have developed and, you know, singing styles, uh it's just the she has this in, you know, one of the things about Cher is this like contralto heavy Voice with these certain uh, little ticks, and just like hearing a voice that that's he- that's that heavy, having this auto tune vibe on it is like uh, now feels like it, it feels more like a a crazy anomaly almost to me now than like you know or like some kind of. Uh, feels like heavy music. Her voice is intense. It's like, Mm -hmm. I was driving around blasting this album in the car. I was like, God, it's like listening to like Nico, like the marble index or something. This is like heavy shit. That's how I felt (laughs) about it sonically. Um, But then I thought about the fact that like, you know, disco diva, like disco music, Mm -hmm. uh, which she was very much a part of that, the the big singers of that time had really heavy voices, you know, like really uh, kind of, Weighty, yeah, is very different than the kind of gossamer auto tune, like the Kylie Minogue thing, or
3: yeah, even in the disco records, too, like there is so much of Cher trying to alter her voice too, like she's like doing kind of like the lighter version of that mm-hmm. during like you know, take me home, where she's kind of trying to hit like a softer register of a voice that is so heavy and kind of on her most iconic songs like is hitting that like heavier side of her own vocal, and so she's always kind of like played with how she can act on, on her songs more so than, you know, obviously drama and acting is such a big part of any any part of pop music, but Cher in particular, having her own kind of yeah. Oscar-winning experience with it, like, plays with it in such extremes. And on disco, like, she's kind of being, like, a little more, like, coy, a little more like, you know, like, let me do, like, the sultry or kind of a step outside of the share that people seem to not want to respect or like very much and kind of do like the softer register goes back to it for the ballads and then this is kind of like okay like here's a whole new
0: that's a new version yeah and even i believe there's kind of like telephony voice like she you know there's like some different vocal effects outside of autotune to Mm -hmm. kind of differentiate the parts of the song and go into these different
1: zones when you read about the studio experience it's like very much that she's the one who's like, what if we tried doing this with my voice? Like she was clearly like searching for these new expressive registers kind of in the same way that Britney's talking about that she used to do with her singing itself, but sort of guiding the producers to do that with technology. Right. um, There's a funny story, like after she has taken a break um, because the, the process of perfecting believe is so kind of arduous and headache inducing and she's heard some kind of like, vocoder style music comes back to the producers and is like i want you to try this on my voice um and and they they kind of work it up using autotune uh and are like scared because they're like oh Cher is going to be too precious about her voice and not she's we're going to show her this version that we've made and she's going to feel like oh you've kind of like mangled my vocal take and uh, the guy says, like, he it required a, drinking a few beers before he had the confidence to show it to her. And then once he does, she's like, that is exactly what I wanted. It's perfect. <laughs> uh, and then they kind of, like, send a rough mix to the label. And then there's some back and forth about whether or not the tune is going to stay. Shares like, over my dead body, do you take <laughs> this effect off my voice? Uh, and eventually, yeah. I think the rough mix they sent to the label is, like, basically the version that got released. And then, of course, it becomes this like huge, inescapable song. It's pretty amazing.
3: It's funny because like Cher is probably the least, you know, just like looking back now, and especially when we think of Cher in terms of the the label of like diva and like the way that we kind of like have put her in this le- this particular category of legacy artist. Um, she has to be maybe in the history of music the least precious about her art <laughs> like you know like she's like a perfectionist but also balances that with like she doesn't mind kind of like trial and error <laughs> on yeah. a lot of it and mm-hmm. like doesn't mind being like okay like okay if i'm gonna change my voice like we might just go all all the way with it like we'll do this effect and see what happens like who cares totally. um in that in that regard so that's kind of what's you know she's definitely very much in control of it in a lot of ways and like but also doesn't care about you know completely messing with the formula of what she did last time and I mean that's a big reason why she's had so many comebacks and like has had like a career marked by being able to be like okay well I'm back now and and bigger than I was the last time and doing something completely different because you know in the in-between time kind of was a lot of a lot of trying things that didn't exactly work
1: and I feel like the force of her personality is so big and just her voice is so big and and distinctive that it's like she can kind of play around with other things and be confident that it's like always gonna sort of be like it's gonna sound like Cher because like the experience of Cher is so huge and so kind of like unmistakable.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Icon, uh-huh. diva, etc. <laughs> <laughs> these, these words, these words were uh, you know
0: invented to describe, right, Sam? Yeah. No, it's true. I mean. <laughs>
2: like it's funny it's talking about her it's like you have someone who basically picked the hardest route to have a career like which is to constantly be adapting and changing and trying to like find her way with like something current you know which goes to what you're saying Brittany about her not being precious because she was never like Screw it, I'm just gonna make another share album. Mm -hmm. Like there's always a sense of like, okay, well if like that didn't work and this is what people are into now, I can try to find my voice in that. And more times than not it worked. And I think like this album I feel like is a good gateway into that just because it's so distinctive. And like the title track especially, like with that effect, it's the kind of thing that makes other songs sound like corny or like Mm -hmm. weak in comparison like i imagine a lot of like pop artists heard that song and were like all right back to the drawing board <laughs> like i've got to make something like my voice just sounds so vulnerable or like old-fashioned and it almost has that effect on the rest of the record like i almost feel bad for the other songs like coming after that mm-hmm. you know because it's like how do you follow that up
3: yeah
1: there's
0: some sick songs though
1: that's true yeah yeah so do we have favorites uh, among the uh, non-believe songs on this album
3: I, I am very partial to Strong Enough. Yeah. I think that is sort of in the similar vein of kind of like this big sort of relatable anthemic, you know, scream along to it on the dance floor type of song. And I think that she's even more effective at that type of kind of like, this is for you all type of like democratic approach to pop music because she has sort of a a discernible persona that isn't tied to like the new reinvention era that she's in in a way that mm-hmm. I think that a lot of pop artists kind of get stuck in. I
2: feel like Strong Enough is also the one that sounds the most like what I would associate like classic Cher yeah. with like yeah. it's the one where the merging of like the Eurodance sensibility and just like what I would consider her like melodic trademarks are like it almost sounds like a remix of like a song from the 70s or something. Yeah,
0: it has the strings and the the big horn the horn stuff, the big, the big yeah. arrangement vibe. <laughs> this is one
2: I remember from the time, like the video
0: on VH1 and stuff. Mm-hmm. What did you think when you saw the video as a as a as a young whippersnapper? Uh, I mean, I like this is one of like the
2: first huge albums I remember from my childhood. Just like the video on TV, like the album on like the racks at Sam Goody or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I think as a kid, it like seemed really futuristic. I think, like, I identified at the time that it wasn't really my thing, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I, like, just, like, it's a whole swirl of, like, this, like, J.Lo waiting for tonight, yeah, like, Mm -hmm. this
0: whole era, yeah, I associate it with VH1 countdown shows, for sure, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, it's sick, I mean, I like it almost as much know, as I I say,
1: <laughs>
2: Um,
1: The record does a good job of, like, making this sort of production, which is, like, pretty much in the vein of classic disco, like, updated, you know, for 1998 with um, stuff that's, like, very much more in that kind of, like, synthetic Eurodance world. Yeah. And it's all kind of swirled together, but you never really get the sense that, like... That they're working against each other, like something. I guess it's probably just share Cher, shares voice and presence, kind of like makes it all feel pretty uh coherent.
3: Yeah, yeah. It never feels like nostalgic for disco too much. Like it doesn't yeah, feel totally. like too retro and too much of like a a disco pastiche where it feels very of that time.
0: I mean, there, and there's the the kind of outliers which don't even feel like outliers. They feel like kind of. Nice breaks that are part of the same world, like "The Power," which is was like an Amy Grant song, as Sam said, but it has that acoustic guitar Latin pop vibe to it a bit. And then there's like the overt Latin pop song, and uh, just a little bit of threads of other '90s music going on, mm-hmm. other other pop trends going on at the time. This song is a pretty bizarre one. Yeah, bold yeah. move
1: to sequence it right after <laughs> "Believe." I, I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it has like some tabla going in the background or something. Yeah. yeah, her voice is also like it sounds like maybe the least
0: affected vocal take on it. Yeah, like it's pretty dry. A flower grows, an old man dies, and through it all, we still survive. A poor man dreams, but no one hears. Ain't nothing changed much through the years. Some interesting, some in- interesting sentiments in here. Mm, cool. <laughs> goes a little deeper than you might think sort of a tangent but do you know who
2: loved early amy grant is judy sill oh for real yeah like i think she loved like those big cosmic questions and like kind of pop songs like there's an essay in one of the liner notes where it was like like at the end of her life she just listened to like that first amy grant album all the time interesting like she wanted to make that kind of music
0: yeah. in the future didn't
2: peter Sotara also work with amy
0: grant he did yeah <laughs> it's all connecting. <laughs>
1: it's all <laughs> connecting. Uh, Andy, what one you, of, uh, what's one that you... Yeah, like, so my year favorite year. song other than Believe on here, and I, I really like the power too, but uh, I, the one that I would turn to the most, I think is Taxi Taxi, Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. which sick. I feel like is among the... It's sort of on the far other end of the spectrum. It's like... Before I knew that Todd Terry produced this, this intro, I was like, this sounds like Todd Terry. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> straight-up house music, uh, and I, lo- I just love the production. I love it. The, the lyrics are um, also kind of, like, cosmic. Like, she's talking about Orpheus, and, like, on the surface, it's just sort of, like, a taxi ride, and he's taking her somewhere, but you get the sense that it's, like, a taxi ride, like, to you know the afterlife or something so Mm. it's got this interesting um lyrical conceit and i just think that the the beat is great Uh, it's kind of spooky it's like when i heard it on the taxi like she
2: sings it like scott walker or something (laughs) that's what i'm I'm talking about
1: with her
0: her voice sometimes it just hits like
2: Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, I, tec-
1: I texted the two of you on my first listen of the album, containing or comparing a part of it to "Circuit, the, Circuit" as you, yeah. and I was like, sort of half joking because it was a similar lyric, but it like her voice really does have that same kind of like bone-chilling power to it. Yeah. Can I put on this one part of "Taxi, Taxi"? Yes. <laughs>
0: It really sounds like Skywalker. Yeah, it sounds like *Climate
2: (laughs) of Hunter*. (laughs) And now it makes me wish Scott Walker
0: made a house album. Yeah. Wow, that's that's insane.
1: There's like little melodic contours there that are like totally. Yeah, like if someone, if some like cool indie artist put out a song like that today, like with that kind of that level of of another singer it sort of reminds me of is anoni but like Mm -hmm. of that level of like depth and intensity against that production people would flip out yeah Yeah. like this is the greatest thing i've ever heard
3: (laughs) if i heard that in any club at any like any point i can go to a club again (laughs) like i would i would cry totally (laughs) (laughs) i would just cry and dance at the same time uh covid
0: times (laughs) makes us think about how great it would feel <laughs> to just dance to Taxi Taxi among them. Mm. <laughs> well said. Crowd of sweaty people.
3: First thing I'm going to do dance to Taxi Taxi in the club. Mm-hmm. Find a club that's going to play Taxi Taxi. Yeah,
1: I was yeah. going to ask you. Just maybe, harass is, a DJ for like 45 minutes until he agrees to you, play. You, it. You, <laughs>
3: like, <laughs> you have to play the share deep cut. <laughs>
1: what? I have, to,
0: I have to say the artist's name?
3: <laughs> taxi
0: fucking taxi. <laughs> Have you heard
2: any of these songs besides Believe, like, at a club?
3: Um, definitely Strong Enough and yeah. All or Nothing. Yeah. Um, I've definitely heard those both in a club. But, yeah, I mean, I Believe, I hear out, like, all the time. Right. Just, yeah. I'm also just always in... I always try to find spaces where I'm going to be guaranteed to hear <laughs> "Share." <laughs> so, <laughs> I just don't like to dance if, I, if I'm not going to hear a Believe at least once mm-hmm. in the night. But...
0: We should um. listen to all or nothing
3: <laughs>
0: this was one that was intense in the car mm that's a classic late 90s vibe
1: right mm-hmm. here ba-ka-ba, ba-ka-ba, ba-ka-ba. classic uh, late 90s production
0: mm. <laughs> I love the I love the verse in the song Your name. <laughs> now all i can think about is scott walker jesus christ <laughs> yeah
2: listeners all of us are losing our shit dancing right now <laughs> in our individual squares
0: <laughs> this might be my favorite i don't know my heart if you leave me now. Don't like this sounds yeah. It's, this sounds really modern to me too. In terms of like, this could be on like a Robin album or whatever, and people would totally remember. yeah. So good. Now, yeah, it's just you know she's she really belts it out in a way that you know I'm missing on the charts these days.
3: I feel like Cher gets very underrated for how many great sort of breakup songs and heartbreak songs she has. I think that people don't don't consider her like the great like queen of pop heartbreak, but she really is yeah a lot a lot of her songs, very dark about just you know going through like a terrible breakup, bouncing back from a breakup. Some her greatest songs are all about that, and it's kind of like, especially eighties on are are very much marked by that and. People people don't appreciate her as the as the great heartbreak pop queen.
1: There, there's a great story about the writing of "Believe" uh, mm-hmm. when it's like going through all these rewrites and stuff, where there's like a version that gets uh, given to share um, that like the music is all in place, but they're just toying with the lyrics and the second verse, which. The second verse in this version that she got is like still sort of like wallowing in heartbreak in the same way that the first verse is, and she like says to the songwriter like, "You can have me sad and depressed for like one verse, but you can't have me sad and depressed for two verses." (laughs) And she's like sitting around, I think like in the bathtub or something, and comes up with, "What am I supposed to do? Sit around and wait for you?" And that sort of like turns the direction of the whole song into this thing of like well yeah i'm like coming back from this
2: well i think that like the same year that this album came out this album came out in october and Sonny bono died in january yeah and i do think that connection like to the lyric do you believe in life after love like helped make this feel like monocultural and oh, just like a great like dance yeah. pop song
3: it's dedicated to him um because right. she recorded she didn't record the album until that summer i think um passed away like in January or February of that year and so a lot of it is um you know obviously like that particular type of chorus is very much inspired by kind of coming back from this really especially since they had just become kind of close again um in the 90s and had become friends again but I think it was it was heavily impacted by that um and also I think a lot of a lot of the more like heartbreak songs of the '90s for her kind of came off of her relationship with Rob Camilletti, the the bagel boy that she mm. dated for I've, several years.
1: I fell into like a no pun intended hole, like <laughs> thing about this. Can, one. can you guys tell us about the bagel boy yeah. For, yeah. for people like me who don't know what that is? I'm gonna put. So a, I didn't realize. <laughs> ba- I'll put a bagel boy sound effect here. I don't know. bagel. <laughs> <that. laughs> this is a recurring
0: segment on the
3: podcast. Yeah. So he. So I didn't realize how impactful he was on her life until I saw The Cher Show, which is heavily influenced like the Broadway musical about her life that's like was done after a lot of interviews with Cher about sort of like what you know, how to frame it and so he was after a string, He they started in the late 80s and he was kind of like this string of really young lovers that she had taken in the 80s. She dated Tom Cruise, Val Kilmer, Richie Sambora, you know, all the hits. And <laughs> she started Sambora, dating of course. this like <laughs> random guy from, I think, Queens, just like worked at a bagel store, just like, you know, they had like, he was just like some ran- random, random dude, not a famous guy, like they just met one day and then they started dating and he was in a couple of her music videos. He was in, I found someone and he was also in the, we all sleep alone original video, which she does a remix version of for believe. Um, but yeah, like they, they dated for several years. Apparently it was like really tough because she, this was, um, they started dating like right after, I mean, when her self-titled album came out in '87, so she had never really been bigger as a solo artist at that point. Until then, she was suddenly a tabloid star. She had like, you know, all these hit films, and he was not adjusting well to like her fame mm-hmm. and couldn't handle a lot of it. So I think that kind of was a a big one of her big heartbreaks, along with, you know, obviously like Greg Allman and Sonny Bono, like one of the the three big heartbreaks for her.
0: So she liked bagels. likes bagels. Likes bagels. She likes bagels. I really love bagels. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, <laughs>
3: yeah, I don't think she's had a public romance since then. I don't think she's like been like at least like public about any of her dating since Rob Camilletti. Wow. Yeah.
0: Damn, that's heavy. Yeah. Um, Do
3: you believe in life after? After
0: the bagel boy. I really love bagels. I don't no longer. (laughs) Sometimes you have a last love comes in unexpected places.
3: Mm. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. (laughs) Amen. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What else? Anything we want to talk about? Or do we want to talk about what happens after this? I have not gone through the experience of listening to the entirety of not commercial, and I would like to I I think the listeners should hear it. because in some ways this is like yeah. a really late era thing that maybe we should just kind yeah. of get into I don't
3: think you can really find it a lot of it's on they have the songs on YouTube which is yeah, yeah, where I was
1: listening to it
3: It was like one of the first internet only releases I believe because it was just like on her website or something because she, I don't think the label wanted to officially release it but yeah I mean The Fall Kurtz Blues is a great song I, I'm just like that's like one of the greatest things I'd ever learned in my life as a huge Nirvana stan and also a share stan to find that they once converged in that capacity was very very important to me <laughs> <And> there's <laughs> um,
2: also like a song like a protest song about the catholic
0: church
3: that, yes uh, Sisters a mercy controversy yeah.
0: there yeah yeah well let's hear the one that Brittany likes whoa This is heavier than Nirvana alright. Yeah. what I heard you know today.
2: This
1: is sort of like if you want to zero in on that Scott Walker circuit does you like undertone of believe, it's like really on the surface here. Ben. I love this yeah it's sick yeah love that chromatic descending bass line thing Whoa. oh pretty cool yeah
2: <laughs> listeners now all of us are losing our shit in a different I'm, way I'm, I'm really <laughs> losing <laughs> my shit <own>. oh. <laughs>
3: Got the some some of that like come as you are guitar on there. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, just, I, I heard a little Billy Corgan in some of the chords. Yeah,
3: so. it's maybe the most important song that's ever been released in
0: my <laughs> lifetime. I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. Yeah,
3: and, and this
2: first comment on the YouTube is Rolling Stone brought me here. I'm guessing maybe that was something I think I wrote
1: you wrote about it. oh <laughs>
0: yeah!
2: Wow. wow. <laughs>
3: I did a public service. Sure. <laughs> Maybe the most important article I've ever written is reminding people <laughs> that this was, that this existed. Um, but yeah, the album was written in 94. Happened pretty quickly. Obviously it was shelved for a while. Um, and yeah, I mean, she, I think she was doing so much nostalgia stuff before, between Believe and Not Commercial too. It was like, they did a lot of Grace Hits albums. She was touring heavily. Um, and then, you know, obviously, she comes back with more of the believe style, euro dance music mm-hmm. on Living Proof, but it's uh, it's just like so funny to me that she like finally was like, you know what, fuck it, like I'm just going to release this album, like it's like the one album that I've written entirely, like I have like that she has like a songwriting credit on, it, on every on almost every song, um, and just like dropped it online. The Beyonce self titled of of 2000.
1: (laughs) It's Um, crazy that you could be (laughs) at Cher's level of prestige and success in the industry, have had such a long career and just released like your biggest album ever and still be told by your label, like, yeah, we're not going to put out this project.
3: Yeah, because I think she was was trying really hard to release it in, in 94. Like, she was, it was like, just completely she's roadblocked yeah so, okay. yeah. so
1: do you know like did she try to bring it to her label again after believe or is she just kind of like i'm putting this thing out
3: i'm assuming yeah like i'm assuming because it wasn't officially released by her label um yeah that she probably tried to bring it back to them and they're like you just literally had the biggest hit of your career what are you doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> release this like six-year-old album you've been sitting on um but yeah I mean but also it's like with Cher it was everything was so temporary too like she'd have these like moments of extreme success and then it would be really hard to replicate it on the next album and then it took like two or three albums or you know a decade sometimes to like get back to that so I'm sure that the label was also just like you can't can't yeah, do this, this right now away very you literally quickly. just had like the biz- biggest success of your career like Being a pop star over 50 is just, like, especially for women, you know, being a pop star over 50, like, they just will discard you. And she did a big comeback that no one was expecting. And, like, she's like, you know what? I'm going to release my Kurt Cobain (laughs) tribute song. It's very
1: sick that she was like, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to release this anyway. yeah. 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 I wonder how it would have landed if it had come out in 1994 and gotten a major label promotional push.
3: I... Uh, yeah, I'm like wondering that too because I also, in the context of Mariah Carey and um, revealing that she had written a grunge album in '95, like, what is the alternate universe where both Cher and Mariah Carey had released their like kind of grungy rock albums That's in so the mid '90s? Yeah, like totally. what what universe would we live in?
0: Mm. They didn't.
3: If- the- everything would be so much <laughs> yeah, better. Yeah, it, we, would,
0: we would avoid a lot of the, pro- you know, probably at the time it was like, oh, this is like silly. This is an authentic. If, the, if they had put it out, yeah. I imagine there would have been these. B- yeah, there would have been a lot of really bad music writing about it. Yeah, but if they, oh, if yeah, they had, we could avoid years of arguments about pop optimism and rocket, you know, rockets. Yeah. It, it would have folded it all together right yeah. then when Cher released, not commercial, in 1994. Anyway,
3: I actually don't know how people saw this album. I don't. I don't think people like hated it. Not commercial. Yeah. I don't think they hated it as much as they.
0: They couldn't download it. because yeah. They didn't have a good enough internet connection.
3: Great album though.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna dig into that more. I was th- that hit me hard. Um, yeah, it
2: remains pretty rare. Like it's. I looked on Discogs and there's, it's like fifty bucks. For, like an original pressing and then there's like one reissue
1: that i saw was like in the hundreds that would be a sweet like light in the attic or you know like vinyl yeah. please reissue campaign you guys it is
3: turning 20. you guys listen november out there? yeah <laughs>
2: well this album just got reissued on vinyl for the first time because mm-hmm. i really i oh, believe did yeah for its 20th anniversary because it really is like the ultimate cd cd like the cover like it Mm -hmm. just like looks like any one dollar bargain bin you can find we'll probably have a copy of it just Mm because so many people bought it and i don't know to me it's just really indicative of that era it had like all those cd singles for it with all the remixes on it
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the maxi cd singles the cds cd um yeah that's right (laughs) Mm -hmm. so what's the what's the best period of share in your opinion Brittany? Um Or I guess herself, how does this stack up? How does the Believe era stack yeah, up?
3: Yeah, I mean I think Believe is the her best song, like full stop, her best single. Um and I think this is like the album itself is very it's up, very up there with like the self-titled for me. Mm-hmm. Um and I think like are two of the greatest kind of like musical comebacks ever and both by the same artist which is insane um but yeah i mean i think like shares a personality like right now is which is also incredible (laughs) it's just like one of those things where we're getting to see more of her and she's kind of like you know she became so over like trying to appeal to a mass audience that it just became so easy for her to appeal to a mass audience yeah um but yeah i mean this album has has aged so well um it's like incredible to listen to it now and to still feel that excitement when I hear Believe like it still feels like the first time I've heard this album and that song in particular every time I hear it um which you know I think like there is a certain level of nostalgia nostalgia there but like also just like every single time it comes on anywhere it feels like a new experience um which you can't say for a lot of stuff um but yeah, I think that this album is this and the self-titled are are two favorites of mine by her.
0: Yeah. Um, outside, of, I mean, outside of the vocal effect that became so, you know, changed pop music. Um, do you see like a uh, kind of extended like legacy of this album, or do you think it kind of influenced stuff that came after that other people were doing?
3: Yeah. I mean, outside of just the music, I mean, the thing that she proved is like what longevity in and like longevity and also engaging with your legacy in a way that like allows you to reinvent without losing the core of who you are as a pop star. I, I don't think that that has ever been replicated very well. And I don't think that, you know, I don't think it ever existed before her, but like, yeah. I think that she has done that in a way that obviously many people aspire to. Like, I think like, even like, I don't know one of the things that always bugs me is people always are very quick to compare Gaga to Madonna. And I think Gaga has been more particular about replicating what Cher did uh-huh. than mm-hmm. what yeah. Madonna did. Totally. Like, That's a great Because point. what Madonna did wouldn't exist without what Cher did <laughs> too. Um, but yeah, like she's been so good at, at being able to kind of like, keep at least one, one toe in like every single thing that's happening in culture. But she, at, at the end of the day, she's still just the share, like the share that we met with, I got you, babe. And like, you know, like the share that we met, you know, re- like remet with, you know, take me home and that we re-met with Moonstruck. Like it's like all the same person and doesn't feel totally like, you know, it doesn't feel like they're all disconnected in any way yeah which again it's very rare to like have that type of like career over 50 plus years and still feel like it's all this like it feels all connected and feels like it's all led up to believe and everything that believe created after makes sense but yeah musically i mean it just opened so many doors for um euro and house music and like everything that we heard in the years following um I mean, she just completely reinvented like what pop music could be.
0: It's funny, someone like the Madonna thing of just kind of trying to push the extremes, make you kind of feel like she is a different person on different albums, and dramatize that those changes as opposed to kind of look at what I can do while still being myself. I don't know. I mean, you could say that that's what Madonna's doing, but it really feels more like Cher's just in the center of things, being like trying stuff on and. Mm For fun, but like, yeah, in a, you know, in a way that works and is meaningful. She's cool. I mean,
1: that's one thing. Is she's just really cool. People
3: thought cool. she was so uncool for so long, and she's so cool.
1: There's a whole <laughs> Rolling Stone article I pulled up, I think from around If I Could Turn Back Time, yeah. where the whole lead paragraph is the writer just trying to convince you that Cher is actually extremely cool. And the writer's yeah. on board, but it definitely speaks to Cher's cultural standing. It's also me.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the time
1: The writer's like, who among us wouldn't want to date someone 20 years younger than us? Who among us wouldn't want to wear a rainbow wig or whatever?
3: Yeah.
1: I thought you were going to say, who among us wouldn't want to date the person who makes their bagels? That's who yeah, I, mean, I really she's love She's like, bagels. no one's
3: been, like, no one has been so fearless. And it's so funny because, like, so many of her songs are about, like, you know, like, am I gonna, like, am I gonna be strong enough? Like, can I keep living after this? Like, can I, like, you know, can I make it anymore? And, like, she's literally, like, every single thing that she's done has been such, like, a huge risk. Even looking at the way that she was, like, dressing in the 80s. Like, she, like, did so much of, like, she changed the course of, like, what red carpet fashion could be and, like, what stage fashion could be. um, And, like, just completely has been, like, you know, whatever. (laughs) Like, I'm sure at the end of the day. Like, I'll show up to the Oscars like a giant headpiece and a crop top and, and like a little rice skirt and be like, this is this is how I'm dressing for the Oscars and then win. <laughs> Damn.
0: This this oh, would yeah. be a whole share podcast.
3: <laughs> I, I could talk about Cher literally all day yeah. every day. And I, I do really sometimes. serious
0: <laughs> tone, like cereal <laughs> kind of vibe. <laughs>
1: Okay, before we get on with more share, a quick break to remind you that Late Era is powered by Grady's Cold Brew, the greatest coffee in all the land as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you can buy it in a bottle. You can buy it in a huge box. That will last you forever. You can buy a kit to brew Grady's yourself at home. Uh, cold is how we usually drink it, but now that we're getting into the wet-cold windy autumn perhaps you're uh, wanting a cozy hot cup of coffee and uh good thing you can drink grady's hot too it's as simple as mixing the concentrate with hot water instead of cold water Uh, or hot oat milk hot soy milk hot hemp milk hot dairy milk however you like your grady's I'm a recent convert to drinking it with oat milk. It's like pure MDMA euphoria when that stuff hits your tongue. Oh, my God. Uh, If you want to get some Grady's, make sure you use our promo code, LateEra20, which you can enter when you order it online at Grady'scoldbrew.com. Uh, once again, that code is Late era 20 and the website is Grady'scoldbrew.com. Put it in. If you're a first- time customer, you get 20% off your whole order. Uh, it's great stuff. Okay, on with the show. So we wrap up each episode of Late Era with a segment called Fantasy or Delusion, which is titled after this Billy Joel album of solo classical piano music called Fantasies and Delusions. It's sort of a touchstone for the sensibility of the show, and it's something we're gonna be talking about on the show eventually. But it's pretty simple. Basically, if you think the album is good, it's a fantasy. If you think it's bad, it's a delusion. And everyone just goes around and shares our closing arguments. I think I know what page everyone's gonna be on with this one, but (laughs) yeah. I'll start, Um, I think it's a fantasy for sure. Aside from having one of just like the greatest songs of its era, it also introduced a new sound that completely wrote the future of pop music going forward from that point. And it's easy to reduce the album to just the title track, but in fact, like almost every song on it is pretty great. Uh, It creates its own world with this mixture of highly synthetic sounding electronic pop with more vintage disco elements. And it remains completely coherent with Cher's towering voice at the center. And it's just a pleasure to listen to.
0: It's a fantasy for me as well. I, um, you know, and Sam was talking about the CD era. I kind of, you know, associate the CD era with uh, bloat in terms of length and track list, you know? and uh, and not and kind of with pop music, like trying on different ideas. And uh, there's such a cohesion to and like uh, no wasted time on this album. And kind of just realizing the promise of that one song across it, but not not in a way that that feels samey Because I don't know, it, it's it even in the relatively short amount of time that I was kind of. Processing it like every song grew a lot with every listen. Just kind of crystalline hooks and the and the the like love of the product, the of the structure of the songs and production. I love I love Cher's voice. I think that's more than ever, I was like, man, what an instrument! And yeah, and she sounds like Scott Walker. Too. <laughs> that's what I that's what I learned. No, it's uh it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, anyone out there. Uh, Rock music fans listening in that don't think Cher is cool and don't think Cher is heavy. How wrong you are, my friends. Check this album out.
2: Yeah, I'll say it's a fantasy for me as well. It's one of my favorite types of albums, which is like a huge commercial breakthrough that is followed up with an artist kind of reintroducing themselves as a cult figure. It's almost counterintuitive, but it's almost like the success of this album like the massive monocultural success allowed her to be like okay, you know what? Like now I'm just going to like do me and appeal to the people who are in my tight circle, whether that means doing like her version of an indie album that she releases on her own to her core audience or wanting to do like an ABBA cover album. It's cool and I think that is another example of her showing a way to evolve and age gracefully as a pop artist and I think it's something that a lot of People from rock and pop could learn from her, you know. Um, yeah, uh, thinks a great album.
3: Um, yeah, imagine if I said it was a delusion. <laughs> like, huh? Not oh, as enthusiastic as you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a fantasy for me. Ten out of ten album. Um, banger after banger. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just I think Cher has mastered and and been so i don't know she's the one person in pop music who has at the end of the day realized that when you make pop music it's just supposed to be fun mm-hmm. just needs to be fun it's supposed to be a good time like you know even when she is sort of searching for quote unquote real music like i think that it seems like over the last two decades especially since believe she has realized that like real music can just be fun like you know like it can just have a a good time and I think that that's been such an important part of all of her best songs and all of her best albums is that she creates things that are you know relatable and anthemic and like you know something that you want to scream along to but also just at the end of the day like you'll just feel happy when you hear it even if it's kind of like there's a little tinge of that you know that sadness and that heartbreak there but that's why you know, even when you quoted the the like the part of um her kind of not wanting the second verse to be depressing and mm-hmm. like you know, it's just kind of at the end of the day, it's meant to be fun. It's supposed to be a good time and she no one's having more fun than Cher.
0: It's a good thing to remember in these dark times. Try mm-hmm. to find our ways to have fun. Amen. Oh. I learned so much for this one and yeah, Brittany,
2: thank I, you so I much. I didn't that even was amazing.
3: I didn't even know that Cher
2: yes. was on the Phil Specter like recordings until i researched this album there's Mm -hmm. just so many
1: like her career you could spend a lifetime studying yeah yeah um yeah yes and Brittany, thank you so much for schooling us it was wonderful Oh, thank you for having me yeah (laughs) next time what do we
2: got going uh next episode is a sad one we'll be talking about uh don henley's songs from my childhood which is a cover of uh like his album length cover
0: of all the tv themed songs from i guess when he was a boy wow i want to hear well, that album that sounds real and good it sounds yeah like, it sounds like an album that i is out there and i would like to hear about a fun fact is it's the only eagles solo album to be banned by the catholic church Ooh, there's a tie <laughs> into this this week's <laughs> right? very cool stuff <laughs> all right that's it that's late era thanks Brittany. thank you bye guys Late Era is hosted by Andy Cush, Sam Sadomsky, and Winston Cook-Wilson. It is edited and produced by Winston Cook-Wilson. The executive producers of Late Era are Brian Brinkman and RJB. Logo designed by Liz B. Art and Design. Late Era is a part of Osiris Media.